the Midway, one of my favorite places, one of my favorite places to come and speak, wonderful folks, appreciate and love you, preacher, very much. And um, when David called me, he says, now, we're talking about faith, so you can talk on anything about faith. I thought, yeah, because you can just talk about anything, because everything that we have in Christianity is built on faith. So I thought about, a little bit about it, and I thought, I want to talk about something we don't talk about that much anymore, and especially as the society in which we live today, where it seems like more and more Christianity is under fire, and we're persecuted. And we have that tendency today to sort of get in our little buildings and to just sort of come together and be quiet and uh, not make a ripple and not to reach out. So what I want to do tonight is talk about faith, but I want to talk about sharing your faith. Sharing your faith. I think John chapter 4 is a tremendous, tremendous lesson for us about sharing our faith. I love the Gospel of John, tremendous gospel in and of itself. One of the things I like about the Gospel of John is that in it you have these one-on-one conversations that Jesus will have with people. And this one here in John chapter 4 is the classic about Jesus and that woman at the well. And what happened? What happened at the well? changed some people. And because some people were changed, it changed a whole town. And it was in this setting that Jesus saw it with the Sermon on the Mount, with a Samaritan woman, it's in this setting that Jesus saw a great opportunity to teach his disciples about faith. And about what real Christianity is all about. So let's set the stage. Let's go back just a few verses before verse 27. And uh, let's work our way up briefly to our text tonight. A woman, a Samaritan woman comes to the well. She comes to the well in the middle of the day. Now there's a reason she does that. It's because she doesn't have a good reputation. And she didn't want to talk to people. She didn't want to have to deal with the scorn. And so if she comes in the morning, she's going to meet folks. If she comes in the afternoon, she's going to meet folks. And usually there's not so many in the heat of the day. She comes to the well. She's going to take care of her business and get out of there. But as she gets close to the well, there's a man. And not just any man. It's a Jew. A Jew. Oh, well, she probably thinks, I'll just take care of my business and, and get on out of here as quick as I can. But this Jewish man comes to her and asks her for a drink of water. That blows her mind. First of all, it blows her mind because you see no Jewish man even talk to his wife in public. And here she is. She is a Samaritan. And this Jewish man talked to her and asked of her something. 
water. And she said, what are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for water? And Jesus said, oh, if you knew who I was, you know that I could give you water and you would never, ever, ever, ever thirst again. And I just sort of took her back a little bit. Now, she knows that this was Jacob's well. And so she looks at him and she says, are you greater than Jacob? And uh, Jesus does something interesting in replying back to that. He says, uh, where's your husband? She says, well, I don't have a husband. He said, oh, that's not true. You know that had to have blown her mind. Because he says, you've got five husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. Well, as the conversation continues, she's going to change the subject. She wants to get off of this subject quickly. And so she says, I want to know something. She says, uh, is ever going to come a time we're going to worship somewhere else besides Jerusalem? And Jesus says, oh, yeah. There's going to come a time when all you have to do is worship God in spirit and in truth. Then she says, well, I guess we'll know all about it when the Messiah comes. And then Jesus said this. He said, I am the Messiah. It's at that time when you look in John 4, you get back up to verse 26, the disciples walk up because the disciples have been in Sychar getting food. Now this is where we are when we come to our text tonight. And what I want us to do as we work our way through this text, I want us to think about what these characters in this story saw. Because you see, what they saw had every, made all the difference in the world in what they did. And the same thing is true. You see, the way we see Jesus and what we see in our Christian faith has everything in the world to do with how we react and how we serve the Lord. So it's interesting when you walk through this story, what they saw. And when it comes to sharing our faith, we're probably going to see ourselves here in this story. And a lot of us, we're going to see ourselves in these disciples. So first of all, let's begin by looking at what the woman saw. You know what the woman saw? She saw Jesus. And it didn't take her long to have a relationship with Jesus. She saw Jesus, and let me tell you, that changed her life. That's what happens in your life, folks, when you really see Jesus. That's what happens in your life when you really develop that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to change you. And you know what's going to happen? You can't keep it on the inside. Let's read the text. Verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left the water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. I don't think this is a coincidence. Jesus has just now said to the, her, I'm the Christ. And right at that moment, these disciples walk up. I think Jesus is using this not only to tell her who he is, but to begin to teach and to 
press the disciples toward the thought of Gentile conversion. That the gospel was for all the world. Because you see, this is a Samaritan. And the first time that we have recorded in the gospel of John that Jesus says, I am the Messiah, is to the Samaritan woman. And they come forth and, and they hear this. It's a preview of Gentile conversion. Notice the text says here that she gets so excited, she knows that this is Jesus. And she gets so excited that she's rolled down her water pot and she takes off. As far as we know, Jesus never ever got that drink of water from that woman. She didn't want any burden whatsoever. She didn't want anything in the world tying her down. She wanted to get rid of whatever weight she had because she wanted to go and tell everybody about Jesus. And that was another thing. Think about the turnaround in this woman's life when she saw Jesus. She's going to the well in the middle of the day because she doesn't want anybody to see her and she doesn't want any conversation. But now she sees Jesus. And she goes into the city and notice it specifically says she talks to the men of the city. She wanted them to know that he was the Christ. Discipleship and faith. Real faith, folks, is based on two pillars. Pillar number one is discovery. And pillar number two is communication. You got it? Discovery. When you really, really in your life develop a relationship with Jesus Christ and you discover who he is, you can't help but share your faith. You can't help but tell everybody else. You can't help to be able to let other people know about the Jesus that you know. Discovery and communication. So the woman at the well, she saw Jesus. And it changed her life. And she couldn't wait till she told everybody. Let's read on. The disciples. Now here's where I identify myself. You may find yourself here with these disciples. Because you know what the, the disciples saw? <laughs> Unlike the woman at the well, they saw food. That's all they could see. You see, they had gone into the city of Sychar to get food for Jesus. They're caught up in the physical. They're caught up in, I mean, it's good. It's, it's something fine. I mean, you got to eat. But they're caught up in the physical. And they really don't understand what Jesus is about. The woman at the well, you know, you can criticize the woman at the well all you want because she didn't catch on about the living water at the beginning. You can talk about her life if you want. But she caught on to Jesus and his mission. These disciples have been with Jesus for quite a while. And all they're focused on as they go into Sychar is food. Notice with me verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Folks, these guys totally missed it. They didn't understand the food that fed Jesus. You see, they didn't understand that Jesus' food was people. All they are is just simply caught up in the physical. I wonder, 
Something tells me that it never dawned on these disciples that day when they went into Sychar to get this food to tell other people about Jesus. Something tells me because they're so focused on the physical and on the material that it never dawns on them to say to somebody, hey, Jesus is at the well. You need to go listen to Jesus. You need to go and talk to Jesus. Something just tells me that that wasn't on their mind. Why? Because they were more concerned about sandwiches than they were souls. The disciples on that day, they saw food. And that's all that they could see. Isn't that a characteristic of you and me so many times in life? That we get so caught up, it's not that it's not good, but we get so caught up in these little things that we forget the big things. And we forget the most important thing in life. The woman at the well, she saw Jesus and it changed her. And she wanted to tell everybody. The disciples, all they could see was the physical, the material. And they didn't talk to anybody about Jesus, as far as we know. But then move on. There's Jesus now we're introduced to. And you know what Jesus saw? Jesus saw the harvest. Jesus always saw the harvest. Look at verse 34. Jesus said to them, yes, explain to these disciples what his food is about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. Do you not say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I, underline verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have not and you have entered into their labors. Jesus looks at him and he says, "Guys, listen. Get your mind off the food. Get your mind off the table. Okay? I mean, that's all they come in. I mean, remember what we just read? They come in and they say, oh my goodness, Jesus. Why won't you eat? Has, you know, have you gone through a drive-thru? Have you had food delivered? Jesus, what is it? They're just all caught up in Jesus not eating. And he said, let me tell you, my food has to do with people. And what Jesus was doing, I told you a few moments ago, he was... He used this opportunity not only to help the Samaritan woman, but he used this opportunity to teach these disciples about faith. And he was teaching here also about his mission. And he talked about two things in the text that we just read here. First of all, he talked of what was primary. What is number one as far as Jesus is concerned is reaping. What is number one as far as Jesus is concerned is that he wants reapers. Notice in the text, he says, I sent you to reap. And the second thing he taught us about his mission, not only was the, what was primary, but also what 
urgency there was about this mission. He says, notice in the text, he said, don't wait. Say, I'm going to do it in four months. And then, you know, in four months, I'll, I'll get around to it. No, 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 no. He says, the fields are white under harvest right now. Jesus, he saw the harvest. Jesus always saw the harvest. The woman of the well, she saw Jesus. It changed her life. And she had to tell everybody. The disciples, all they could see was just simply the material and the physical and the food. And they didn't tell anybody. Jesus, he saw the harvest because he always saw the harvest. And then look at these Samaritans. At the end of the story in verses 39 through 42. You know what they saw? They saw the Savior. And it changed their life forever. Watch it. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many who believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now, get this, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Notice the progression of the faith. The woman of the well, she goes and tells these men and tells everybody about Jesus and they say, we're going to find out about Jesus. And they go and see Jesus. And they said, we believe, not because of you, but because we know. Now, we have seen Jesus, and we believe in Jesus. That's our part. Our part is in telling other people about Jesus and trying to bring people to Jesus. But you see, it's everybody's individual part to develop their own personal faith and their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No one can do that for you. Sometimes I've seen through the years there have been children of elders and preachers and deacons and it seems like by listening to them talk and listening to them act that their faith is the faith of their father, the faith of their mother. It's not their own faith. Folks, listen, God has children, but God doesn't have grandchildren. But so many times, our faith is based upon somebody else's faith. Can't be that way. And these Samaritans understood that. It was great that the woman at the well shared about Jesus. And it was great that they believed enough that they went into the city. But their faith wasn't based on the woman at the well. It's amazing. Now I get it. We're going somewhere. The woman at the well, you got it. She saw Jesus. And she couldn't wait till she told everybody about Jesus. The disciples, all they could see was the material and physical. Jesus, he saw the harvest because he always saw the harvest. And the Samaritans, they saw Jesus for themselves. Now, this leads me to a question. Why is it today that we don't have our sidecars? I mean, you've got a whole city that's going to come to Christ. Why is it? 
I can remember, I've been so blessed in my life, and I can remember meetings in my younger days when we had baptisms. I think of a place in West Virginia where I've been on several occasions. I remember one year, I was there like for a weekend. We had eight baptisms. I remember over at Forest Park, Georgia, I was there for a weekend, and we had five baptisms. I remember on several meetings like that. I can remember working at the Limestone Prison and uh, going in and preaching gospel meetings over there and us baptizing people over and over again. We'd have this oblong uh, thing that you have out in the pasture for cattle and we'd baptize people until the water was gone. We had to stop and we'd baptize more. But you don't have that anymore. You don't have that. You can go into meetings and you can preach your heart out. And if you have a baptism too, we're so excited if that even happens at all. You can go to limestone prison today and that doesn't even happen anymore. Why is it? Why is it we don't have our sidecars today? You say, oh, but I, listen, man, you, you, look where we're living today. We're being persecuted. And, and, and it's hard. It's Brother Hines, it's hard to get people to listen to you. I understand that, and I get it. But does that relieve us of our responsibility? Does it? The times that we live in, does it relieve us of the responsibility to share our faith, to invite people to come, and to try our best to lead them to Jesus you see, our problem today, folks, more than anything else, is as Jesus pointed out, as it was then, so it is today. There's not enough reapers. Not enough reapers. Now, knowing what we know now, I want to talk to you. I, looking at this text here, why is it we don't have our sidecars there? Let me suggest some things to you, okay? Let me suggest some things to you from our text. Of why we don't have our sidecars today like that. First thing I would mention is, is because we don't react spontaneously. You say, what do you mean? It's not a part of who we are. It's not on our heart and it's not on our thoughts. When we go to work, when we work out in our neighborhood, we go to school. It's just not there. You know, Jesus, that's what it was all about. Jesus didn't see sandwiches. He saw souls every day of his life. He'd walk along the road and he would see a soul. Jesus would come to a well and he'd see a soul. In Luke chapter 19, he goes into Jericho before he goes into Jerusalem. And all these people, these religious folks are gathered there. And what does he do? He goes straight to a tree that has the meanest sinner in town. A Jewish tax collector. And he looks up in the tree. He knew where the sinner was. And he said, Zacchaeus. Not only did he know where he was, he knew his name. He said, Zacchaeus, come down from there because I'm going to dine with you. You. you see, Jesus had a heart and soul for the lost. And could it be that one of the reasons we don't have our sidecars today is because 
We don't have that same heart. I mean, you see Jesus go in and, and you see him going to Jerusalem and he sees the situation of the people. He sees their superficial religion. He sees what's going to happen when Titus with his Roman army is going to come in. And, and the Bible says Jesus wept. What makes you weep? What makes you cry? When was the last time you cried and what was it over? It was the last time we looked into the obituaries and we read about somebody and we thought they died without Jesus. What makes you cry? It was the last time you cried. Well, brother, how's the last time I cried? It was over a, a good soap opera just a few days ago. I mean, Sally's having John's baby and she's not married to him. And brother, Hines, it was a mess. It was a mess. And I just cried and I cried. Well, brother, how's my dog died? And I love dogs. My dog died, brother, Hines, and it just hurt so bad. And I just cried and I cried. Well, Brother Hines, I'll tell you when the last time I cried is when Alabama lost that ball game. And oh, did I cry and I cried. That last time Auburn left, lost. Oh, Brother Hines, I cried and I cried. You know, folks, it's a sad thing in this life when we as God's people, we'll cry over parakeets and we'll cry over dogs and we'll cry over TV shows and we'll cry over ball games. But the lost in this world around us we're going out into eternity unprepared to meet God. And it doesn't bother us. You know what we've come down to in many cases? is what I call scheduled evangelism. In many churches, we may have a Monday night for the master. Or we have some kind of a VIP or visitation program, whatever. <clears throat> and so we come together on Monday nights and we're going we're gonna to visit some people or we're going to see some people. And, and we think on Monday night, when we finish that one-hour visit or two-hour visit to somebody, we're through for the week. And we wait for the next one. And it's sort of like in our mind thinking, if somebody comes to us on Thursday and want to talk about Jesus, too bad, I can't do it. You, if you talk to me on Monday night, I'd have talked to you about Jesus. This is not a way of life for us. It's not what Jesus is. Remember, I told you we were going to find ourselves more like these disciples. Messengers are never slaves to fixed programs Fixed plans and campaigns. Campaigns and plans and all that, they're great and they're wonderful. But you see, with God's people, there needs to be a feeling for the lost and a concern for those who are around us. And it doesn't need to be some scheduled evangelism. I'll tell you something the other we learn from this, why we don't have our side cars today, and that is because we're turned off by the externals. We are. You notice the disciples there, they're talking to this woman. And we all know, you, you're the Sunday night folks, you all know how the Jews felt toward the Samaritans. And they can't believe that Jesus is talking to her. You know that affects our missions. It really does. The externals of people how many mission efforts have been stalled or never started because we say, you mean we're sending money to those people? You mean we're sending money to those Africans? You mean we're sending money to those Mexicans? And the external has kept us from reaching out to the lost. We do it in our local work, folks. I mean, let's just be honest. 
people walk in here, walk into our churches, and we say, they're divorced. Or we say, they're gay. They're gay. Now I know what the Bible says about it. And I stand on what the Bible says, folks. But we elect the externals. We just we let the externals build a wall between us and people. We say, oh no. They've been in prison. And the wall goes up. And over and over again, we've allowed it. Many years ago, there was this preacher who had gotten in trouble, and he walked into the church at Hartzell one day to worship. And some of the members came and said uh, to the elders, what are we going to do about them coming here? What are we going to do about them coming here? And they came to me, and I said, we don't do anything. I can't think of a better place for them to be, to learn the truth and to make some corrections in their life than with God's people, hearing God's word. I learned this, I learned this the hard way, folks. Just a few years ago, I was in Brazil. And going to Brazil, we have a children's home there, and then there's a, well, I go out into the villages and preach, and it's a great experience. We went to the villa, full house. Many it was full. It was, we were under a roof, and they were standing room only everywhere. The denominational preachers from the village were there. It was, it was great. I mean, you know. Well, just before I get up to speak, one of the Brazilians walked up and said, Brother, 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 I said, What? They said, There's a voodoo priest in the audience. And he's shaking. So I started shaking. The voodoo priest. Well, I get up, and there's the voodoo priest right there. And you can tell it was the voodoo priest. And of all things, I was preaching on the blood of the lamb that night. I mean, you know, like, man, I could see that voodoo priest making a doll out of me, and, you know. So he doesn't see sister, and he doesn't see a word. And uh, afterwards, we carry reading glasses. And the people line up, and you come, you get a free pair of reading glasses. They go through and get different sized reading glasses. And so he went over the corner over there afterwards. Nobody would say a word to the voodoo priest. Nobody. And so he waited. Everybody got through. Then he went around, and he got him some eyeglasses. I didn't say anything because everybody else was scared of him. The next night, the voodoo priest showed up again. Same thing happened. Afterward, he goes over in the corner. They all get their glasses. He waits. Nobody says anything to him. That happened for four nights in a row. Finally, on the fourth night, it's the last night, I'm going to fly out early the next morning, and I feel like something hits me. I need to say something to this voodoo priest. So I go and I get out. It's afterwards. He's sitting on the corner. And I go and get out. And I said, Al, come with me. He said, what is it, bro? I said, we're going to go talk to the voodoo priest. He's like, the voodoo priest. I said, I know, but I never talked to a voodoo priest before. He said, okay, bro. So we go and I go up to him and tell him that I've noticed he'd been there every night. And I told him that um, it was good to have him. Well, he gets up in Al's ear and he's looking at me like this and he's whispering something in Al's ear and I'm thinking, oh no, he's putting a curse on me, on me, man. And he's doing this and Al is doing this. I said, Al, what did he say? He says he's got AIDS and he needs Jesus. 
for four nights, everybody, even this preacher, ignored him. He was coming seeking Jesus. Because he was a voodoo priest and because of the way he looked, nobody would say a word to him. We do that, folks, in various degrees with people. That's what happened here. Maybe that's the reason why we don't have our sidecars. I got it. David told me I had to be out of here in five minutes. My goodness. I'll tell you the next thing that I had listed here. We get involved in the necessities of life. The disciples were wrapped up in living. They were wrapped up in their schedules. They were wrapped up in meals. And their priority was a good priority. But it wasn't the most important thing. There's a little book I read many years ago called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And it really helped me because here's what we do. In our life, most of the time, we live our life by that which is urgent and not that which is important. So if we set aside and we say, this is important, we're going to do it, but something urgent comes up, the urgent takes over. And we never get the important done. I think that's what happens to a lot of us in our life because we get so wrapped up in the necessities of life. And here's how I'll end. A lot more we can say about this. This is a powerful, powerful teaching to us today. But I want you to understand this. I think one of the reasons why we don't have our sidecars today is because we have made it optional. We have made sharing our faith optional. This is what you mean. We think about it. We have our programs in our churches, and we have this program, the educational program, we have the benevolent program, we have this program, we have that program, taking care of the grounds program, and over here, you got visitation, or whatever you call it. Now, that's the one that has the least amount of folks. Always. Here's what happens. We leave the impression, or we think in our mind, okay, I'm involved in education. So that frees me from visitation. That frees me from sharing my faith. I'm over here, and I'm serving in this ministry, and I'm working in jail prison ministry, or I'm working in this prison, and so this is my ministry, and that frees me from that ministry. Folks, What Jesus was trying to teach these disciples about their faith and sharing their faith was this. That it's not optional. It's not optional. We have made it optional, but it's not. You see, I can soothe my conscience because I'm in this ministry and I'm in this ministry. That's great and it's wonderful. But it is something that each and every one of us as children of God or to do. It's not optional. Ladies in this church, I know you do wonderful works. I know you prepare food, teach Bible classes, do some tremendous things. You are a blessing to this church. God bless you. But don't you ever, ever forget that your main mission 
is that you have been called to be a reaper. To you deacons, thank you for serving the church in the capacity you do and serving the ministry that you do. God bless you. This church would be in a bad situation without you. But don't you ever, ever forget that first and foremost, you have been sent to be a reaper. Dear elders of this church, God bless you. I know what a responsibility you have on your shoulders, and I know what you deal with. I really do. Thank you for having the backbone and being willing to sacrifice your time and your life to do what you do, to make the decisions that you do for this church. And I know you love this church. God bless you. But don't you ever forget. Don't ever forget. That first and foremost, you are a reaper. What all this boils down to, let me tell you, all these things that we just mentioned, we could mention more, our time is up. These are just symptoms, folks. This stuff about we're not spontaneous, the exterior and all that. Those are just symptoms. You know what the real problem is for many of us? It's our relationship with Christ. It's our relationship with Christ. The woman with the well, she saw Jesus. <clears throat> she couldn't keep it in. I thought of this, and then we'll sing this invitation song. I hope for all of you the best in life. I hope you reach your goals. Get the things that you want to. That you grow spiritually. That you have the kind of family you want. But don't ever forget that which is important. Think about this. All these things we work for, these physical things that we get caught up in, when we're gone, they're gone. We know that we can't take them with us. But the one thing, the one thing that you can take with you when you leave this whole world are the souls that you brought to Jesus Christ. Maybe tonight there are things in your life you need to take care of, whether it be your relationship with the Lord, it's not what it ought to be. Maybe tonight you're not a child of God. Maybe you're even thinking about it. We encourage you to come tonight. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Be willing to change your heart, your mind, your life. And to be buried into the death of Jesus. To participate in the death of Jesus. By being buried with him in baptism. Let the blood of Jesus wash away your sins. You can do that while we stand and while we sing.